It's episode 29 of the Bunch of Fan TV Weekly Rundown. Um, really, with more questions and answers after win. How are you feeling about everything, Fernando? Uh, yeah, it's kind of kind of a good way to uh, to put it. I'm feeling um, oddly good. Um, it's weird. I, I it's been a decent form lately, and you, you think you would feel kind of comfortable, but it's like you said. There's there's somehow these these last three ones that are the last four games have somehow raised more questions, like you said, than um, than I think anything else. So it's uh, it's interesting. It's weird. To say the least, I think uh, interesting is a bit of an understatement. Weird would be kind of where I'm at. And just downright <laughs> bizarre, I think, would kind of be the upper limit on my ceiling of how this season has progressed so far. And uh, if you look at the recent, I think, uh, the, the recent run of form is a perfect encapsulation of just how Jekyll and Hydeish this team has been, I think, right, so far this season. Um, a loss against Montreal in midweek following a great comeback victory against the LA Galaxy. And now, just an absolutely, well, I wouldn't say dominant, but definitely a very inspiring performance from what was thought to be, you know, the the reserve team on the road in Dallas, you know, probably playing the most EDS-oriented, um, the most EDS-oriented performance that we've basically seen all year, right? I think, um, so I guess we'll kind of begin... Uh, discussion of uh, results there. I think when you kind of look at how I think how much the the uh, usual first choice starting lineup kind of struggled once again to create chances from open play against what was a team that hadn't beaten this in regular season play at Rebel Arena in Montreal. And then throwing the reserves out on the road and just seeing them Mall FC Dallas, right, for quite a fair bit of the game. You know, this is where you start to raise, I think, a lot of questions about whether or not people who are currently starting week in, week out, really deserve to have their place in the starting lineup. And I think um, one area that we can kind of highlight this being um, key I think has actually been a position that we've been scrutinizing quite a fair bit uh, here in the uh, podcast for a while. And that's kind of the role of the wide players in this system. You know, I think we all understand, I think, that this team doesn't really play with, you know, what would be considered traditional wingers. But the players that occupy the wide positions in the system have come under a bit of scrutiny for generally not being able to produce as much offensively off the dribble in the past, you know, which is kind of a weird place to criticize them from, because you could also argue that so far this season, Royer has been probably the most valuable offensive contributor. And if you measure it in terms of offensive output, but then when Andy Ivan and Derek Etienne Jr. started I think, against Dallas on the road. You definitely saw a more open offense. You know, I think you definitely saw, like, the team having more joy picking apart the Dallas defense. And you can't... And a lot of it comes down to the fact that you had two guys in Etienne and Ivan who could 
kind of just open things up with the way that they get on the ball, stretch to play with their dribbling, and then bring themselves to bring people in. I mean, uh, there were some lumps, obviously. I think uh, you could definitely see that, uh, what is it? The, the final ball was lacking at times from Etienne, but what was good was that he was getting himself into those positions where he could kind of, you know, uh, make a make a go at sending in like a dangerous ball or getting himself in a good position where he could potentially have made an impact if his uh, final product was a bit better. And I, so I guess we kind of have to start there. I mean, um, just, I just, I think, uh, I think it's definitely about high time that we see some changes to the starting 11. Like, uh, do you think there's anyone that we, that is definitely warranted more playing time off the run of the last few results? In your opinion, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it it was it's definitely it was good to see to see them both you know play what I what I felt was was, was pretty good. Um, one of my biggest criticisms with with uh, with with that team for a while has been even though he's physically fast and, and and he's good on the ball, he for whatever reason often slows the game down. You know, especially in transition, there's a lot of times where it's like, oh, okay, he he just you know he kind of. <laughs> He kind of just did that, and and you're kind of wondering like well, like why 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 did you just decide to stop the ball and kind of just wait for people to kind of run up? I feel like you saw less of that um, in the game. He definitely looked like he was kind of just always in that higher gear. Um, Ivan looked to play a bit more a bit more direct and a little simpler, which I think definitely helped him out because um, he kind of knew when to to take out those extra tools when he needed. Not every single time, um, so it was it was. It was very, very good to see them playing pretty well. Um, it's it's interesting because I, I I feel like you're starting to see a lot of these guys who maybe haven't had that much time um, starting at least really really starting to push uh, to push for 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 starting positions. I think at this point, um, and I I said this before, Casper's needs to be starter. Period. If he's physically healthy. He's he needs to be a starter. Like the, the the team is just so much. They're just more balanced. I mean, we've we've. I feel like we've gotten into this so much um, about what we feel is is you know he brings to, to to the team. And I feel like every time he's on a field, we definitely see it. Um, he's definitely a, a difference maker uh, to our midfield, to say the least. Um, but I I want to see. I, I at this point, Omar Fernandez has to start. I can't think of even games where like maybe. Um, you know, he, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't the best player on a team. I feel like he hasn't really had any bad games, but the games where he has been good, his presence and, and kind of just how, how good he fits that, that role, I think has been, has been great. I mean, for me at this point, he, he has to be, um, he has to be, uh, at least a, a penciled in, you know, starter again, when, 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 when guys are healthy. Um, you know, uh, Derek came out for, uh, for Fernandez and, you know, Fernando, Fernandez was only out there for maybe 20 minutes or so, but like it, as good as Etienne was, again, I feel like he just brought something different. Yeah. I feel like he brought, um, a little more of that EDS type of type of movement in that role, in that position. I don't want to quite say below type of presence, but. I got Velo-ish kind of vibes at times with some of, of the things he was doing. Um, 
for me, if I had to pick one person that that needs that needs to to be playing, not including Casper's that that he if he's not starting, uh, then I'm just going to assume that he's like dead or something because otherwise it's inexcusable. Um, outside of him, he's kind of my, my 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 pick for for the guy that really needs to be considered for uh, a starting pretty consistently. Well, uh, your pick is Omir Fernandez, and I'm going to kind of go off on a different route here, actually, because I think the person who I think's had kind of a bit of an understated role in kind of helping, uh, find get helping inject some semblance of life into this offense is actually the guy who's been starting up top. I mean, the insertion of Brian White yeah. in the starting lineup, you got to say, and it's not just in his uh, hold-up play and his ability to like kind of link with the midfield. Um, he contributes to this offense in a way that I think will tug at the listeners of a certain segment of our audience because the, what I've seen from Brian White so far in attack really reminds me of a certain Olivier Giroud in <laughs> the most um, positive sense that I can give. And that is because Brian White adds to this offense – what I think Olivier Giroud has been adding to the offenses of every single club that he's played for so far, because he is a, because I think he's definitely quite adept, adept, I would say, at doing what is Giroud's signature move, which is this near post, this darting well-timed run to the near post that opens up space in the box for late runners to get into the end of of balls out wide. And if you kind of go back and review the footage, you know, you could see, you could kind of see it um, coming against the LA galaxy. The last two goals that we scored in the game were in part created. The space was in part created from those said runs inside the box that drew the galaxy defenders away from the edge or the top of the 18 in pulled them in deeper and open up space for someone um, lurking from deep to just come and take a shot. You go back and you look at the highlights. That's how Rizzo kind of got in, had the space to get in the end of that ball from Connor Lade. Um, and that's how, um, more notably, how Derek Etienne got in the end of that, um, get on the ball from, uh, who was it? Who sent it in that wide? No, it's been a while. Not, but yeah, either Which way, one? like, um, when, when we went, other way, like I think it seems becoming abundantly clear that I think he, we're definitely getting more out of this offense with someone like Brian White up top, you know, like just someone who kind of comes around and just makes the team better because of how much the striker plays for other for the other players in his team, you know, and I think that's kind of something that um we've been lacking because I think it seems to me that Brad doesn't quite have that same sudden burst that makes those runs so effective anymore. Starting to look a bit more limited in his mobility. So he can't really pull defenders around as much as he used to. And having that injected back into our lineup definitely has kind of seen it come to life a bit more and is probably the reason why I think he should be the incumbent going forward. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know one thing about when you kind of look at White versus uh, versus Brad this year, you know I, I've mentioned before that my concerns with Brad is it's really been drilled down to just like individual moments, completely irrelevant to build up and all that stuff. I'm sure part of that too could just be like, 
I have a chance kind of just, you know, let me rush and take it. And maybe he's kind of pressing himself a little bit too much to, to, to make something out of the few chances he's gotten. So that's, that, that's an element that I'm sure is definitely, you know, at, at play here to an extent, but still it just, he just looks slow. Like he just looks a little sluggish in his, in his turns and his movement. He just doesn't look the same and seeing uh, his uh, white's last, I think it was his last goal. I think it's kind of a perfect testament to this where he was just so quick for the moment he received the ball, for the moment he received the ball until he took that, he, he kind of turned and just, just switched and took that shot was so quick. And those were the types of quick reaction and quick shots and turns that we used to see from Brad that I feel like now it's just like, it's so sluggish where by time, by time he takes it, you know, even if it's just a split second, you know, in, in the sport, you know, sometimes that's all it takes is just, you know, an inch to the left, an inch to the right, or, you know, an inch above, an inch, an inch below, or just a split second. And in those moments, Brad just feels like he, just because he's just a little bit slower than he used to, it's just giving defenders a little bit more time to kind of poke their toe and block it or, or, or give just a split second for, for the keeper to kind of just position himself there or, you know, just extend that arm a little bit more and kind of grab it. Whereas with bright uh, with, with white, he's just, he's just so, so much younger and, and he's just quicker with, with his movement. He's able to just quickly boom, just, just take that, you know, make that turn and just take the shot. Um, it, it's funny. Like, I mean, you, you're almost seeing in, 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 in some weird ways, it's like a younger, uh, a younger Bradley Wright Phillips in, in, in a lot of, and a lot of things that uh, that that White does, I don't think it's coincidence either, because I'm I'm sure he's spent a lot of time, you know, learning from uh, learning from him. Um, you know, Brad's one of the most pro- prolific goal scorers in MLS history. He doesn't he's never needed that many chances to score goals. It's one of the best things about him. He's so clinical, um, and you kind of see see that with White. I mean, it's not a big sample size, but I mean, last year he played a little over 200 minutes. So it was like 215 minutes. He had a goal. On only five shots, um, and this year it's uh, uh, 284 minutes. He's played with two goals, one assist on only five shots. So he doesn't need that much time on the field to to make things happen, and and to, he doesn't need that many chances to to execute on those chances. So it's I think at this point he's making a pretty good case to to you know showing not just his value but but maybe make it a, 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 a case here that it's maybe it's Bradley's, maybe it's his spot to lose at this point or, or it Bradley might have to fight to get that, that starting spot again, where, okay, he's, he's, he's healthy again. He can't really expect to kind of just, you know, go right in and, and, and take that starting spot. And to me, I think that's great. That's, that's awesome. That's going to just make Brad even more hungry uh, uh, when he does come on, you know, Maybe I might save him physically a little bit to, to maybe stretch him out for one last season and, and you know keep him a little healthier for, for the whole season instead of just trying to burn him out um, you know for, for, for the whole year. So it's it's good and it's kind of cool because Jurgensen's been kind of the guy that everyone is rightfully so kind of just assumed would be the one taking uh, 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 taking the uh, uh, taking reins of, of that starting spot. But White's kind of just been behind the scenes, you know, buzzing his ass, working hard, doing what he needs to do, and it's probably going to end up being him instead. You know, it's uh, interesting that, um, you know, I think uh, when you talk about stri- the, sh- the striker position in this, from it, in this system, 
that, you know, I think White's emergence, actually, um, even though I think I place him as the incumbent, just the looking at his skill set actually opens up so many possibilities for what you may want to go for, for, sorry, for forward directions going forward. Right. So, because I think if you look at him, like not only is he like able to lead the line from up top, but because of how well he links up with the rest of the team, you could easily see a two striker formation with him as well. You know, like I think any, any, a lone striker, if you look at either lone striker or two striker systems going forward, like he's a fit for both, you know? So I think, it, so I don't think like uh, the emergence of other strikers on the team would necessarily preclude his exclusion from the squad going forward because I think mm-hmm. based on merit so far this season, like it shouldn't. And if Absolutely. you look at his track record, I mean, um, again, down at Red Bull 2 before he got called up, eight goals and six assists in half the season. But he's also had time, I think, playing in two striker formations with some of the other strike options that we have on the roster. So... Having him on the roster just adds so much potential flexibility with the tactical setup that you kind of have to say that he's kind of a secret weapon in that sense, you know? Yeah. And I really do think – oh, sorry. Wait, what? No, I was going to say, I'll tell you what. I wouldn't be surprised if if White playing so well and and Barlow kind of just being on on, uh, kind of in a shadow also waiting to to kind of make some chances – um, given his performance at USL, I wouldn't be surprised if both of those is really the reason why Jurgensen's kind of just chilling out in Red Bull Two now. It gives you the freedom to to just say, you know what, let him, let him, let him learn the system down with Red Bull Two. Don't put the pressure on him. There's no rush. Why, when you have someone like you know White kind of just sliding in and, and doing his thing the way he did, uh, you know, the way he's always done since since he was signed up. And now you also have potentially Barlow kind of again waiting in the wings, just sitting there waiting for his chance too who proved himself and earned a spot with USL, you have at least one, probably two guys outside of Brad, who's who's kind of, you know, getting himself back up to speed here, health, uh, physically, to now, you know, you, you have another potential striker with you, in Jurgens who they paid good money for. Again, that pressure's probably off at this point. Not off, but definitely drastically reduced where, you know, he can just learn, take his time, learn the system, and, and you know, bring him up with the first team on occasion. But, you know, if, if we didn't have – if White wasn't performing the way he did and wasn't playing so well and, and wasn't kind of fitting that role so well, then I think maybe they're trying to shoehorn and push Youngerton and maybe uh, uh, kind of learn everything a little faster than maybe he, he should. So it's it's another kind of, you know, side benefit of, of White doing doing so well. Is it, it, it takes some pressure off some other parts. I mean, you also have to kind of add into the fact that I think from what we've seen so far, uh, Barlow and Jorgensen – definitely strike me as being um, kind of similar players in a way. They both move off the ball really well, very, you know, they get into good positions to hit, to strike. But it seems to me that they're kind of guys who do their best work when you're allowed to run off the ball a bit more, you know. So um, it's it's kind of interesting that you bring them up because I think that they're the kinds of strikers, actually, that do benefit from being put into a dual striker role because they have, you know, someone, because I think they have, I think, an asset, or sorry, an attribute that you don't really see much of an MLS. And that's kind of like secondary movement off an initial run. You know, I think Barlow was, Barlow 
That was kind of Barlow's bread and butter at USL level. And Jorgensen showed flashes of when he played at Barlow as well up top in USL. You know, I think you have, I think it's kind of, as you say, you know, like I think over the next uh, couple of months, I think uh, it's whoever kind of takes that opportunity and develops the best, I think, that could potentially be seeing themselves uh, pl- uh, playing for a st- uh, role in the starting lineup uh, down the line should Chris Armas decide yeah. to go back to a two-striker formation. But I think uh, hearkening back to something that we touched upon earlier with this, the question of um, Omir Fernandez's playing time as well, I think that was definitely something I wanted to talk like a bit more of because based on what we've seen so far from him this season and how he's generally looked really productive every time he's been on the field, like his disappearance for the te- from the team between, I think, the Orlando game before his uh, re-emergence, I think, what was it? Maybe, I think, a couple of weeks ago against the Galaxy, right? That's where you, I think so, yeah. That's where you kind of have to, like, wonder. You know, I think, of course, he was removed against Orlando because of a potential facial injury. But if he was being, oh, right. if he was being featured so much in, you know, the training material between then and now, showing that he was kind of fit and he was kind of healthy, then, you know, you really kind of do have to wonder, like, why is it that despite the merit that he's shown this season, he hasn't played as much as he should have? You know, you're kind of, you, you, you kind of have to run with, I think, the hot hand here in a way, right? Like, Below went down, and he's sort of like, as you mentioned, probably the closest thing we've seen with the first team that can emulate what Florian Below can do, you know? And for some odd reason, like, this still hasn't been deemed enough by the coaching staff to warrant a starting spot. So I think you have to kind of wonder, like, about what he kind of has to do at this point to get a spot in a starting lineup. And, you know, I mean, I understand if he was hurt between the Orlando game to the LA Galaxy game. But if that was the case, then, you know, I think, why wasn't he on the injury report then? You know, I think, like, it's a, there's just been a lot of very baffling things, I think, with the way that the uh, roster's been managed so far this season, where it feels like guys who have shown quite a fair bit in their uh, time with um, being inserted into the starting lineup or off the bench don't necessarily get rewarded with the... Uh, of additional playing time or starting positions as they should, if you ask me. And on the topic of this, like we we also really do need to fix the fucking injury reports, you know, because I think it, they've just become so hard to rely on to get a sense of who is actually going to be available for the 18. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, so with 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 regards to uh, um, to Fernandez, I. I... I guess what, what kind of worries me is that, and I hope this isn't the case, but I, I hope, I guess I'm worried that, that uh, Chris is kind of falling into, I don't know if I can articulate this the right way, but I'm hoping he, he's not falling into these lineups because he has in his mind what he wants them to do and he truly believes that only those guys can like perfectly execute it. And I know it technically that's I mean that's kind of every coach. 
right? Every manager is going to assess players and they all have their ideas and all that good stuff. But the reason why I worried about that is because I don't think what's his ultimate plan is truly, you know, EDS, basically, if I'm being honest. I, I, I'm not sure, I guess, is probably the, the better way to put it is I guess I'm not fully sure what his plan is. I'm not even sure he does sometimes. Um, so I guess I just get worried because it, 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 sometimes it, it feels like, like player performances don't matter as much as they should, because even if they play well, he still hasn't in his head, what players should be doing that job better. And maybe he just, maybe he's a little stubborn with, with, with actually getting those guys in the field. I mean, there's really no reason. I mean, we could we could roll out that same team against that they put up uh, against FC Dallas, and I'm I would feel pretty confident in getting a result a- against Atlanta. I, honestly, I mean, maybe one or two changes, possibly, but I mean, for the most part, I would I would feel pretty comfortable. Um, it, what makes me worry about that is you know you take someone like Lade, for example, where he, he's gone from what r- really should have been like. A depth piece to like starting option over Amir, which is extremely concerning. Actually, not only, not only over Amir, but even over Duncan, which is probably the most perplexing part. If you don't think uh, you know Amir's good enough, okay, fine, throw Duncan on there. But he seems to be getting starts over both of them. So that's kind of what makes you worried that it's 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 he's got this idea, and and, and regardless of what actually happens on the field, he's he's being too stubborn to to kind of let that go. I guess. Um, the, the injury reports, it's, it's, they're frustrating because, um, it's hard to gauge and it kind of ties into what I had just said, because sometimes it's kind of hard to gauge what's really happening. Are certain guys getting starts? Not because he has this, this stubborn ideal in his head that he wants to stick to and, 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 and only certain guys can do it. And it's actually, no, there's, there's, you know, maybe a guy got a tweak here, you know, during training and they're just being a little precautious and he seems to be a little open about it when asked, but the report, I mean, there, there's been times where, where he openly says, blah, blah, blah is injured or, or gives some kind of update, but then the injury reports come out and like that person is nowhere to be seen in the report, even though, you know, 12 hours prior, the the manager himself said, oh yeah, no, this person caught a knock. So it's, it's, it's just, it's annoying. It's frustrating. I mean, I don't know what kind of tactical, you know, advantage realistically is, 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 is happening or gained by that. I don't know, but it's, it's definitely frustrating because you basically end up wondering if one of your players is dead, you know, Kamar, he's actually alive, which is awesome. Um, But, you know, you just don't, you don't know, you don't know what happened. We would still don't know what happened with Kamar for a good part of the season. You know, Brad is, is, you know, he apparently has this, uh, a groin issue. We have, there's like no timetable apparently long is, is, is still hurt. Robles was mysteriously scratched off the 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 um, you know the game, and they just randomly gave Mira a start. Which I'm sorry, I don't believe for one second that they just randomly decided to to give him a start. Um, so obviously something you know had to happen, but again, we don't find out about that stuff until after. Like it's it's frustrating as a fan. It's frustrating. I, I if there are some weird you know competitive reasons for it, whatever. But it's as a fan, it's definitely frustrating because it just adds one more layer of trying to like decode and decipher when trying to figure out what the hell's happening in this this crazy weird ass season. I think uh, on the uh, topic of uh, Amir uh, Murillo, as you mentioned, I think earlier, um, it's been 
it's been kind of strange to kind of see a Connor Laid be used as a security blanket for some just I don't know like reasons that are just completely obtuse to me. I'm not I'm not going to really knock on Connor too much. Every time he steps in the field, it's the manager's decision at the end of the day. But um, okay, I guess like you could kind of you could kind of make an argument that okay, like Amir hasn't had the greatest start to the season, and he definitely, I think. Um, definitely kind of deserve being dropped for a couple games just simply because of like how, you know, I think how disconnected he kind of looked with the rest of the team. And, but as, as we've met, as you mentioned, when we've constantly been stressing just how much, like um, how, how much Kyle Duncan is supposed to emulate all the things that Amir and Kamar is supposed to be doing well. It's like you have to wonder why it is that Kyle Duncan ends up being passed over in the depth chart for someone who's definitely, at this point, like kind of someone that we already kind of know everything about. Like we kind of know what Connor Lade is, right? He's kind of a you know finished product at this point. But you know, there's the thing with Kyle Duncan is is that like what like this is the same thing that we found ourselves in last year with Fidel Escobar. In the sense that why is it that we're kind of going with the limited veteran option that everyone kind of knows how the book's been written on when there's a younger prospect who needs more playing time and has a potentially much higher ceiling and arguably a higher floor than the guy who's being ultimately selected for the starting lineup. You know, it's stuff like that that's kind of that, that's kind of where it gets a bit inexplicable for me, right? Yeah. But I guess uh, to just talk about the fullbacks for a bit. I mean, this is probably, I think, probably Amir's best game of the season as well. You know, I think uh, I think uh, the, the recurring trend that I sense, I think, from this performance against Dallas is a soft reboot. You know, I think it's a lot of, a lot of guys got a, a soft reboot in terms of either mentality or playing style. And it ended up paying dividends. I mean, what it wasn't just Andreas Ivan or Derek Etienne out in the wings who kind of benefited from uh, some time of Red Bull too, right? It was uh, guys like Amir who had been hadn't really been pulling their weight to start the year, and then came out absolutely fired up, ready to tear shit apart. You know, I think I think um, when you look at stuff like that, you kind of. Um, you kind of have to hope that this is sort of like the attitude that they take going forward where nothing gets taken for granted. They're ready to come out and ready to be fired up every single game to try and get their best. Because I think you could sense um, that everyone kind of knows like how good this team's that M's offense can be when Amir is on his game, right? And you kind of saw it from yourself with some quick combination play so uh, with him making those darting runs again into the right-hand channel to try and stretch the defense and get a ball in. I mean, it's it's stuff like that that's been kind of missing from the right-hand channel all season. And I think it's kind of resulted in what we've been seeing over the past uh, few games of this, you know, very tepid attacking third possession sets that ends up kind of stretching the our own offense a bit too far apart. To the fact, to the point where we're not really compact anymore and teams are able to play through a press like slightly easier as a result of that. Um, it, I think um, 
it's clear that um, the coaching staff, I think, still does see him as a very valuable player. If you kind of put some stock into what was said in the last All Access, right? If Arm is kind of pointing out that, yes, they are a better team when Amir's pushing high and playing for um, the balls in the right-hand channel. As, a, as of all the havoc that that creates and its ability to kind of stretch the opposing team's uh, defense. But I think the point that I'm trying to get here is that it you, you really do get the feeling, I think, that, or at least I hope I get the feeling that the team is starting to put some of those uh, early season weirdness behind them and starting to play, kind of play our way again. You know, and I think um, a lot of that rides in this combination of both tactics and personnel that we've kind of been stressing on a lot to start the year, right? You know, I think you saw, you, you, you didn't see as much, you know, tepid, um, stroke the ball sideways for about 15 minutes sort of offense that you saw at times from the 2017 team rearing its head again in 2019. Instead, you saw very direct, quick, transition moments that came about as a result of of either both players finding their form or finding their groove again and the insertion of other players into the starting lineup such as Brian White and Christian Caceres. So this is kind of that's kind of like the energy that I want to see them carry forward from this performance ultimately because you know like this was very reminiscent of the types of extremely enjoyable soccer that we've been seeing for most of last year and most of uh, 15 and 16 as well. You know, I think uh, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. So, I mean, just to circle back just a little bit with, with the fullback spots, I mean, just in general, I feel like what's, what's, what I've kind of fallen onto for my biggest frustration in, in, in that position, whether it's the left or the right spot is, yeah, this is still a development team. You know, this is, this is an organization that still develops players, even on the first team. You know, when, when when you have guys that are so young and you're relying so heavily on 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 youth, whether it's, it's through your academy or, or guys brought in from the outside, um, there's going to be growing pains. And I guess what's the frustrating part is, you know, you see how good Amir is. I, I feel like anyone reasonable can can acknowledge that he is a very 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 good right back, who at times has discipline issues and 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 sometimes has trouble kind of keeping himself in in, in the game and. You know, just gets frustrated, or whatever, and kind of just you know makes some stupid mistakes. Where you're like, dude, what are you doing? But like, so I'm I'm okay with with this idea. Like, okay, you know what, Mir, you've had like two or three really shitty games. You're you're going on the bench. To me, that's part of development. You you even hear uh, 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 Waniak talk. Uh, he's talked about that before. Where you know sometimes he'll like intentionally. He said it last year in, in, in uh, an interview, and I brought this up before. Where he said like he's intentionally bench guys just to bench them, just to see how they would react. And so I get it. You know, that's like if you want to bench Amir for a couple of games because he's been doing poor, I'm actually okay with that. That's part of his development process, forcing him to understand that you can't tune out like that at a high level. You have to always be on point as much as you can. And if you're not, well, you're gonna get you're gonna get thrown to the bench. Where my problem starts though is there's another right back who is also developing. There's another right, another young right back with with what I feel is a pretty a pretty solid ceiling, especially 
you know, a, a relative to to us and and how we play and what we need in that position. Um, he we have that, and, it, and it's Duncan. So that's where I get frustrated. Like we're supposed to be developing guys. We're supposed to be plugging in guys who who don't fit the system. That's the whole point of the system is making sure you have guys who fit because otherwise you break the system. You know that this is why we, we we joke about not you know or we, we talk so much about not bringing in some random you know mid thirties euro guy because it just fundamentally just doesn't fit how even this slower whatever version of press this is this kind of guys still don't fit so it's just frustrating because okay you're you're gonna you're gonna make a statement to your your what should be your starting right back in Amir okay fine but instead of bringing up the next man up who should be developing. Like you said, you're bringing in a guy who's he's he's flatline. Like we, like you said, we know we know what he brings. We, late is who he, late is at this point, skill wise and everything else. I love the guy. The amount of passion he brings on that field, more often than not, is what wills him in, into into the, to the good moments he does have. But he should just be like an oh shit, we need somebody at this point. You you shouldn't be taking, in my opinion, development minutes for another pretty solid right back. And and taking those minutes away to give it to 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 just a you know a veteran just a veteran guy who's just there to 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 be that extra man when you kind of need him. To me, that's that's kind of where my where my frustration grows with uh, kind of falls on on that whole fullback situation. Um, on on the the grander scale of, of what you wrapped up with, you know about um about kind of how the how important I guess how important the last couple of results are. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's like I feel like Fido made a, a, a good point. And I was talking to someone about this, but I feel like Fido made a very good point when he said that you know it's very possible that that just that Chris has kind of given himself that same uh, leeway at the beginning of the season to maybe kind of try some new stuff, and it's possible that he's just failed more miserably than. Than Jesse did. I mean, to be fair, Jesse failed pretty miserably to start in 2016. And I don't remember. I, I the easy the easy thing to talk about what turned the season around in 2016 was getting uh, uh, was getting Colin. But people forget that he was really, really, really trying to force that four triple two in the beginning of 2016, and that also played a pretty big role in why we look so bad. When Verone wasn't there, he was trying to shoehorn Gorilla as a second striker, and I will never forget that. That was hilarious. That was so bad; it's not even funny. Deal, well, it is funny. My, my deal with that was more Sasha Kleshin playing on like the wide um, sort of position. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it just it was it was a, 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 a slew of things that just did not fit at all with with in the in the in the first nine or like eight or nine or so games. Um, then again, in 2016, extend beyond just getting. You know, getting a, a Colin and things just magically getting better. It was it was deeper than that. Jesse he slipped up himself too, and then in 2017, you know, again it was with with the four triple two. That's when we 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 got he, for crying out loud, he brought in Goldbranson from from Salzburg to really push the to to push the initiative of of the four triple two. Failed miserably, and then eventually kind of just fell on this three at the back, which ended up being an amazing plan. You know, down the road a year later. Um, but still he, he had that leeway and, and he tried things and it suddenly started working. We had an amazing June and July and then Royer got hurt and we didn't win a single game from like, I think it was the middle of August up until 
October 7th. We didn't win a single game in 2017. I don't, I mean, we, we can't, we can't do some like revision, history revisionism here. We got to, you know, 2017 was a bad year for Jesse. Um, so, I mean, yeah, maybe Fido's onto something. Maybe what we've seen is is Chris trying to give himself a little bit of leeway to try new things because he knew that that we didn't have Tyler Adams. Uh, uh, he he saw teams playing differently more frequently against us. Uh, you know, Brad maybe he him seeing that he's he's slowing down a little bit. I mean, it it, it it's very well it's very possible that it's not just poor tactical instructions, which I'm sure at least from what I see, are definitely part of it. But it's really kind of just a, a, a list of just a lot of problems that just combined have really just, really just made the season what it is. And maybe now that we're starting to see more glimpses of quote-unquote us in the last couple of games, you know, Kansas City, I felt like like we was the first big sign that like, oh, okay, we're actually playing kind of the way we're, you know, it looks a little bit like us from last year. I think it was the the uh, the game against the Rebs, even though we lost. I felt like there were moments where, like, oh, we're actually pressing again. Um, the Galaxy um, uh, at, against Dallas. I mean, we're, we're starting to see in the last couple of games more and more of what is recognizable to, to, to what we should be, at least what we feel we should be. And maybe that's just – Things starting to click. Maybe that's him slowly trying to uh, revert back into, you know, revert back with some tactics and kind of falling away from some of these new things he was trying. Maybe he's now starting to figure out certain positions and 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 you know, in the absence of of, of Adams and all this stuff. I mean, it, it's possible that now we're starting to see some things get figured out and and some concessions being made and and just fundamentally making different decisions now tactically wise and roster wise that he did you know, even just, even just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, I, I still think it's a bit too, uh, what is it? We, we don't have a big Early. enough size. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of um, definitely come to this conclusion that, um, what is it? Give, he's given himself some leeway. I think uh, with regards to the tactical setup of this team, you could definitely see that that's the case, but it's definitely one of those things that it's only really going to become a bit more apparent as the season goes on, right? The sort of uh, you, 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 I think you only really recognize turning points when um, results are actually built on previous successes, yeah. right? So I think it's definitely one thing to kind of monitor going forward because it could very well be that we'd be back at square one in like a couple of weeks, for all you know. So. Um, I mean, I feel like this this game against Atlanta is going to be pretty telling. Yeah, I mean, especially since I think how they kind of mirrored us in being this team that kind of mired in some early season weirdness that's starting to find a bit of a groove. Oddly enough, it's with Ezekiel Barco out of the starting lineup and Matito Vialba in it. But we'll be getting a bit more into that, I think, a bit later. Because I think for now, I just wanted to uh, tie up, I think, the discussion in the last two or three weeks that we've seen from this team. And I think um, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think um, for for the most part, at least you're starting to see some semblance of progression. You're not seeing things be as like kind of lifeless as they were. Um, some of our worser performances, I think, this season. I mean, like that Chicago game for me, uh, followed by the um, 
home loss against Minnesota and then losing to the Revs on the road. I mean, I think you'd definitely have to look at that as being the sort of rock bottom for the season. And if that's in the rearview mirror going forward, then okay. I mean, I'll uh, I'll happily give them credit for writing the shit. But again, really feels that I'm don't think uh, we should be saying that this crisis is over just yet. I think, um, and as you say, I think this match against Atlanta is going to be a pretty big test. So I think I'm. Um, We'll uh, round it out with the the usual stock up, stock down, and I'm just gonna give mine real quick because I think I've really gone into a pretty deep depth over the last few um, over the opening part of this podcast over who I think's been deserving. So stock up first of all goes to John Wolinick. Thank you very much for developing these kids. They've Red yeah. Bull Two <laughs> is a blessing. And every day um, we get to see them play as a reminder of God's graciousness. Uh, <laughs> so, Wolinek, White, Fernandez, Caceres. And I think I didn't touch upon this earlier, but I'm going to give them to Amro and Nealis as well because I think they're very good third and fourth center back options. And in a way, it's kind of shown that our center back corpse is surprisingly deep this year, especially for Sean Nealis. Especially for Sean Nealis, I think, um, stepping in, making his first MLS start. And I think, uh, I mean, bagging what was kind of a fluky goal, but I mean, also just looking very composed at the back. He was in the right place to make a lot of interceptions. And, uh, you know, it seems to be adapting to the pace and physicality of the league really well. I mean, it was a very good Dallas team they were going up against. Didn't really look overmatched at all in his uh, first outing. So big ups to the man from Long Island for a really good start. Um, stock downs, I mean, uh, I mean, Mira looked really good. I mean, Robles gets maybe half a stock down just simply because like, I think um, he hasn't had the greatest of starts to the season. We could definitely be in a much better position right now if it wasn't for that just bizarre, I think, howler against New England that ended up sinking us on the road. Another one against Chicago as well when he came out for the ball and just completely whiffed on it, resulting in Tim Parker. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, sorry, Luis. You got to do better than that, buddy. Um, stock down. I think, oddly enough, I'm going to give one to Sean Davis, even though he was really good in this, even though he was pretty decent in this game. The reason why I'm going to give one to Sean Davis is because I think it's just really highlighted that he shouldn't be the lone DM in the system anymore. Like it's definitely he's definitely not cut out to be the only covering midfielder. I think, and that's kind of been one of the more understated things this season is how much better he's looked when he actually gets to sit next to an actual holding midfielder or an actual defensively minded midfielder in Christian Caseras. So yeah, I mean. Please don't trot, trot shout on out there in an island for him to die by himself. That's kind of not really uh, what his game is. Um, yeah, I think other than that, I don't really have... Oh, wait, yeah, I, I guess we'll give ups to Ivan and Etienne as well, considering how much they added. Um, yeah, I think that's all I really have. How about you? I, I'm, I'm not even joking. I, I, I'm going to give a stock up to every single starter. Um, who started against Dallas. Um, I think 
I'll start from the from the front. I think White has really, 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 um, really forced the issue of of whether going forward he should be the starting striker, even when Bradley's uh, when Bradley's uh, back. I mean, if 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 he does in fact start, which I think he will on on Sunday. I mean, even if he doesn't score, if he if he just has another solid game where he's where his movement and his hold up play and and all that stuff is is helping facilitate. Uh, a creativity and other goal scoring uh, opportunities. He, I mean, that to me, that's just, at that point he he's he's our new starting striker for me going forward until until he he loses a spot. Um, I, I'm I'm right. I'm totally on the white train uh, uh, right now. I'm, I'm I'm hyped to see to see him uh, get more uh, get more minutes. Um, I thought Ivan was 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 solid. I feel like every time he comes out. Um, he's looking more and more comfortable. He's understanding things. I feel like he's reading the game a little bit better in terms of how things are tactically. Um, in those moments where we actually look like ourselves, I feel like he's kind of simplifying his stuff more and maybe weaponizing his weapons in a better way, in a more logical way, not just you know going out guns blazing. Um, those those stints at Rebel Two are definitely helping, I think, and I don't think it's a coincidence that. That uh, him and, and Etienne have spent some time with Red Bull too, and you know when they come out of field, suddenly they we start seeing more uh, more EDS, uh, I guess you could say. Um, I thought Gaku had a pretty decent game. He wasn't fantastic, but I feel like in the last two games I've seen that 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 joy on the field. You know, like you just get that feeling like he's having a good time again. Um, which I think is great. I mean, that that's that's he's he's going to be a huge, uh, a huge part of, of our success if if we do think uh, turn things around. Um, Casaris, another I, I think he did another had another solid performance. Um, I thought Duncan was was all right. Uh, Amateric definitely gets gets a, a stock up. I think he, he's another one where you're starting to see him really settle himself in more and more every single time he plays. Um, and, you know, going into the season, we were concerned about the center back spot. You know, we weren't really fully sure if, 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 uh, if, if Amaro and Nealis, you know, a draft pick would really be good enough to kind of anchor that center back uh, positions, especially with the assumption that we would almost definitely lose long, assuming he was healthy and possibly Parker too. It doesn't seem like we're going to lose Parker. I don't think he's going to get called up and long might not even get called up depending on how he is you know, injury wise. Um, but still, if they did, I feel comfortable with that, with, with those two. Um, Niels gets a stock up too. I think for, for his first MLS uh, match, he looked, he looked comfortable. He looked solid. A couple of shaky moments to be expected, but I mean, uh, away in, against FC Dallas, I, I thought he held his own pretty well and a, a big stock up for Amir, man. He, 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 whatever happened behind the scenes that made him uh, uh, go on the bench, it seems like he took it to heart because he came out and, and and he looked good, man. This was the best game he's had all year and, and probably the best game he's had in a while because he looked a little, little sketchy um, in the second half of last year too. And uh, yeah, and Ryan Mayer too. I mean, he, every time he gets this opportunity, he he takes it and, and he just – he does his thing. I, I don't think I can really ever com- – we're lucky to have someone like him. He's a starter in my opinion in well, well over half this league. So to have someone like that who's willing to just like – Hang out and just play when he gets a chance. Um, I think that's that's awesome. Um, 
And I'm going to give a, another stock up to uh, to Omer Fernandez because, like I said before, every time he goes in the field, um, it, it, there's a visible change. Uh, the only stock down I'm going to give is um, the knees of yeah. this team because it seems like we may have potentially lost uh, another player to a knee injury uh, in Vincent Bezicourt. I don't think – I mean, I, I've been a little pl- unplugged this week because of, of work, but I haven't heard any updates, and, and it looked like it was a knee injury again. So if it was, then RIP the knees for. Uh, for I mean, uh, knowing the way that this team's reported injuries so far this season, I don't think we're going to hear anything. He's going to disappear. Yeah, he's like it's like it's like three days post-op at this point. We'll find out through an Instagram. Yeah, post he's going to disappear for two months, and no one's going to say a word. <laughs> and then they're just going to. I'm. Just, we're going to find out through Velo's Instagram when you're talking about how much you're enjoying hanging out in the physio room. <laughs> Well, that's how we're gonna find out. Yeah, I still can't believe we found out about Bezicor's first knee surgery because of someone someone else's Instagram, like another player's. I think it was yeah. Velo. I think Velo Instagrammed him like just chilling out on the bed, about to have knee surgery. Like, oh, okay, so he's he's gonna yeah. have knee surgery. Seriously, like Instagram has done like more insider but. reporting than I think anyone in like the journalist roster so far this season. I'm sorry to say, but. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happened. Like this, yeah, I know this, this, this is the big loss for me. Like in the off season, is that we lost our biggest insider in Fidel Escobar. I think in the off season, <laughs> which I'm really disappointed about. Definitely, yeah, uh, that sucks, man. Can't be denied. It. Someone needs to step up. I think. I think uh, that realization makes me fully armist out at this point. That they don't really leak things on Instagram <laughs> as much as they do. But no. <laughs> um, okay. So now we look ahead to we're facing off against the big bad here. This is Goku versus Freya of MLS, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcoming Atlanta United to Red Bull Arena. And unfortunately, it's not really like the peak Goku versus Freya either. It's kind of kind of like Goku still powering up to Super Saiyan form, while Freya is kind of like his uh, like, like the kind of jo- jokey Freya that we saw in like the second half of Dragon Ball Z once the power creep sank in. If you don't understand what the fuck I'm talking about, you're going to enjoy my episode of the EDS show next week because I think I'm just going to be spending two hours talking about anime to fuck with y'all. So just a disclaimer for now. Um, Yeah, I mean, Atlanta United come into this game five straight victories in a row. I think uh, anything by every measure of uh, the imagination, that's a pretty good record to be bringing into this game. So definitely another team that's kind of... uh, the same boat that we were to start the year, you know, I think struggling to kind of adapt to a new tactical system, but suddenly I think settling into what seems to be a bit of a groove. I mean, uh, the past five results, the teams that they've beaten in this time span were Colorado, Kansas City, Toronto, Orlando, and Vancouver. So I think, um, you know, I think two pretty decent teams in Kansas City and Toronto. But looking at the lineups for those games, you kind of see a bit of an asterisk I think forming because Kansas city were missing quite a fair bit of guys because of injury when they played and uh, Toronto seemed to be doing that as well. I mean, uh, I think um, for all the ballyhoo that was surrounding Alejandro Pozuelo when he entered the league kind of fallen off a bit in recent, in, in recent games. So I don't know, but okay. I don't take nothing away from them. I think they've suddenly found themselves into in a bit of a groove. And was why I think it'd be a pretty good test for this uh, team going into uh, this Sunday's game. Because I think um, 
you know, you kind of have them earmarked as the only other team in MLS that could have stood on the same platform as us for most of last season, right? Uh, you, of course, you're going to have to relish the chance to uh, play against a team like that if you're really going to have any aspirations of winning things this season. Um, I haven't been able, I haven't really gotten the chance to watch them much this year because, uh, you know, I think um, waking up every single weekend to watch an MLS game that doesn't involve your team is really, is really, really like tall order for someone like me. Okay. Like I think I'd rather get in a couple extra hours of sleep instead of like eight tweeting Atlanta United games. So um, (laughs) I don't know, like uh, I'm not really sure what to pinpoint as like the turning point Atlanta's season. I, know, I think maybe if you've seen them a bit more, like uh, one thing that I've noted is that the reinsertion of uh, Tito Vialba into the starting lineup seems to have helped them rediscover a bit of what made them so good last season because of his ability to kind of take the ball up in transition and help create things off the dribble in the same way that I think Elmiron did for a bit last season. They haven't really seen Pity Martinez do much of this year. So, I don't know, like, do you have any real insight on uh, what's kind of turned around in Atlanta for you? I mean, I've 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 only seen a handful of games. Um, I've kind of combed some of, like, their stats and heat maps and, and pass distribution and all that good stuff. And um, to kind of just at least get an idea of what's really happening behind the scenes without having to torture myself to watching that fucking team. But um, it definitely seems like, for one, um, you know, maybe maybe – that that con artist isn't as stubborn as maybe people thought he would be. Um, so he's switched formations. He seems to kind of have settled on, on, on a one or two formations that kind of fit how they want to play a little bit better, I guess. Um, their Vialba is definitely, def, I, I, I'm a big fan of Vialba since, since his, uh, San Lorenzo days. So I'm a big fan of his and I think him getting more minutes is definitely a big piece a big, big reason why he's doing, uh, why they're doing so well. Um, but it definitely seems like they're like kind of just their overall tempo has, has uh, picked up a bit, you know, they're not as, as slow and, and listless um, that, that they looked, you know, at the beginning of the season where they were just so slow and, and moving the ball up and, and their build up from the back and then their pat. it just seems so lazy and just like slow. Now, you seem like they've picked up the pace a little bit. They're not quite um, at that level like they were last year, especially in transition, but they're they're pretty close. And I think – I don't know if that's a tactical thing or just having Viable on the field is kind of just naturally helping that. Um, but, you know, they, 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 look, they look solid. What's interesting though for me is it's not even their attack that I think is really um, – that has really surprised me at all in the last – couple of games it's been their defense you know they've only they haven't given up a goal i think like um what is it five or six games oh, yeah in it's a row? five consecutive shutouts i'd have to yeah. check five consecutive shutouts yeah and my yeah and any and even then uh when they lost to fc dallas two to one the game before that granted it was fucking new england but still they 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 won to nothing so i mean that's another uh, another game where where they kind of you know crept that with uh with uh with a clean sheet. Um, but if you look at the last couple of games, they only beat Vancouver one nothing. They beat Orlando one nothing. Um, 
and they beat Colorado one nothing. The only multiple game, uh, a game, only multiple goal games in this this five game run uh, was against Sporting Kansas City at Kansas City, which, but like you said, it was with a relatively rotated uh, rotated lineup, um, and then against uh, Toronto FC, who, from what I remember, had a pretty significant rotation that game. If if I remember, there was like maybe three or four. Uh, normal starters. If if just off the top of my head, I, I don't. It was definitely a heavily rotated game where I kind of like, eh, they can, they might be able to pull us off. Um, so yeah, it's not like they're, you know, it's not like they're pulling an, uh, an LAFC where they're just wiping the floor with teams. They're they're kind of getting, they're kind of just getting by in a weird way, kind of like how we are, you know. Like I, I let me phrase that better. I feel like if you look at how we've actually played. In some of our recent wins, I feel like we looked better than they did in this five-game run, which kind of gives me some hope. If we go out on Sunday playing like we did against FC Dallas and Atlanta don't you know, kind of shrivel up like cowards and sit back, we're going to have a very, very, very fun and good game um, just based on what I've seen the last couple of, uh, last couple of games. Because, uh, again, the, five in a row, it's impressive. Uh, uh, a clean sheet, super impressive. But I feel like there's a lot more to that story that I think people might be missing, in my opinion, at least. Yeah, I think, um, again, you know, I think uh, we, when you talk about playing styles, uh, you know, I think uh, there's been an emerging narrative so far this season that we definitely do play better against teams that come out and want to play, right? Simple as that. I mean, Dallas were a team that we were kind of built to a feast on because of, you know, I think uh, Luchi Gonzalez's insistence on playing out the back at all costs, right? I think you kind of definitely saw that like quite a fair bit in the first half when I think um, there were times where they just look just completely overwhelmed trying to build from the back with Justin Gonzalez playing the ball short to his uh, center backs and then them just knocking it around three or four times and then ending up in a rush clearance. So I think um, we know that Frank DeBoer wants, ideally wants to have his Atlanta United team kind of play in a similar way you know very um a lot of possession oriented soccer they have an emphasis on building from the back right i think um um assuming that's the way that they come out against um us at red bull arena i don't know if that will necessarily be the case but i think you know i think um we generally do well against teams that try and play us that way anyway. So I think it's potential. there's potential for um, us to get a good result in the backs of that. But again, it really depends on how, as you mentioned, um, they decide to come out and play against us. Because I think last year in the playoffs, they kind of they understood what our Achilles heel was. And that's kind of been, you know, against this um, tenet of sitting back just kind of soaking up pressure from us and then just trying to hit us on the break. I think uh, they did that to, I think, an astoundingly successful degree, I think, last year in their home playoff game against us. But um, I think you can't look past the fact that I think... Uh, what is it? You can't really look past the fact that still it goes that our home record against them is really, really good. You know, I think uh, we still haven't lost to them at Red Bull Arena. And even though we nope. haven't necessarily been 
very strong to start the season at Rebel Arena. We also, they also, as you mentioned, haven't also quite been as good as advertised as they were last year as well. So, I mean, I think, um, you know, I think uh, at face value, the numbers would look kind of intimidating, but I kind of share this um, feeling that if we do carry some of that good energy from the Dallas game going forward, we definitely be able to get a pretty decent result at home. And the reason why I say that is because I think the pressure is on now. You know, the win against Dallas didn't really um, renege pressure for me. If anything, it kind of ramped it up because we know now that this team is still capable of putting on performances like they did last year, where they could just kind of smash the team to pieces if they really wanted to. I mean, I think you get the feeling that we knew that we had the personnel to do it. It's just that for one reason or another, it wasn't really showing to start the year. But now that we've seen it start to kind of emerge a bit more against Dallas, like we have to kind of set that as the standard for the season. You know, I don't really want us reneging back into this whole, um, oh, to the whole mentality that we had against New England where it's like, oh, it's going to be a really tough away trip against the worst team in the Eastern Conference. No, like none of that, <laughs> right? I want to set yeah. that bar really, really fucking high. And I think every time that I've done this on this podcast, it's kind of paid off. So I'm going to do it once again. I'm going to challenge the team, actually, um, in this game against Atlanta. I'm going to challenge them to kind of match that performance that we saw against Atlanta at home last year. Just completely shut them out. Just dominate from start to finish. Force Joseph Martinez to retreat so far that he gets six touches on the ball and five of them end up being backwards passes and he ends up getting substituted in the 70th minute. That's kind of what I want to see from this team <laughs> because if we come out and see that against Atlanta United at home, I'm going to be very... It, it kind of does alleviate quite a number of my depths going forward. And, you know, I think and that's where you start talking about building on results on a week-to-week -week basis to the point where you can start, you know, finding your feet again. And, um, yeah, I mean, I guess um, I think uh, depending on whether or not they come out in their usual um, playing De Boer's usual system or trying to sit back against this, I think one key thing about dealing with bunkering defenses is to introduce more of those aforementioned guys who can create on the dribble and stretch opposing defenses apart. One thing that we generally don't really have a lot of on this roster are guys who do well, I think, getting through really tight spaces. But the simple on the dribble. And the thing is about MLS is that there are only so many of those players that you can find who are willing to come at that level who are willing to come to MLS. Right? But that's why I think you know guys like Ivan are particularly valuable because they have this big bag of tricks where they can, where they cause so many problems in a one-on-one -on -one setting against defenders that they end up drawing more defenders to them as a result of uh, them beating their man on the dribble, and that's what results in I think the block, the defensive, the opponent's defensive block kind of pulling apart. You know, you have to have guys like that who are capable of drawing. You know threat capable of generating threat and drawing people away from the center of the pitch and that's kind of like two things i think that kind of really did work in tandem as well i mean you have to factor in the fact that brian white is a pretty good mover inside the box as i think we mentioned at the top of the episode opens up so much space in the center of the pitch for guys to latch on late who uh 
low driven passes in the center of the field. You know, anything that opens up that center of the pitch for us is going to be valuable. It's kind of what I see, why I kind of want to see, as you mentioned, some of those guys who balled out against Dallas be inserted into the regular starting lineup against Atlanta on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, he, he rationalized his lineup against Montreal because of the guys, you know, because of, of, of how the team did um, against the Galaxy when reality was the guys who came in as subs for the most part that game that really uh, that really did so well more than the, the, the starting lineup. Um, so I was hoping to have seen that against Montreal. So I mean, if, if he's going to have that same mindset, then yeah. Like I said, man, outside of maybe one or two changes, I would be totally okay with with seeing pretty much the same the same lineup uh, that went out against um, against Dallas. Um, you know, it, it's I think I think what what's going to ultimately determine what how this game goes. Um, it's going to be, I think, a big part in Atlanta because I feel like Chris's at times very reactive um, instead of being proactive in, 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 uh, in his tactical approach. Um, so and I also kind of like worry if, if, if he sees this as like some kind of redemption game where like, if they go out trying to play uh, like they did in that first leg where they were just, you know, direct, Fucking long balls, you know, to uh, at wide. Hopefully, late isn't starting. But if he is, if they're going to target him all over again like they did, if he just decides to like just, you know what, I'm going to prove that I had the right idea, and we're going to do exactly what we did that game. That that uh, that scares the hell out of me. Hopefully, if Atlanta does decide to play that game, he's learned and finds better ways to to deal with that. Whether it's through the actual starting lineup itself. Um, or just tactically, just figuring out ways to okay, if if, if he's going to insist on playing a deeper block, find better ways to to um, to get that ball forward, and don't insist on on staying in that deep block, which I think was the problem. You know, I didn't want to bring it up again, but you know, we, we've we've played deep blocks before in a dressing room, and 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 it worked, but it worked mostly because. When we when we won the ball in that deep block from from immediately pressing, that the transition was just so quick, just getting the ball back up the field. Whereas what we saw in Atlanta, they kind of just stood back. It wasn't just playing a deeper block. They just said, "Okay, you know, we'll just sit here and, and we'll wait till they, you know he fucking that 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 bastard goes on, uh, 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 you know, hits the ball delayed, and then we'll just kind of sit back and just figure things out." Um, hopefully we don't see that. Ho- hopefully if he, in- if, if Atlanta goes there trying to play like they did in, in that playoff game, Chris has learned his lesson and, and we see something different. Um, best case scenario, they go there and they try to play. And, and if they do, and we see what we saw against LA and what we saw against FC Dallas, I, I think we're going to see maybe not as, as a, uh, a euphoric moment as that one game last year was, which I think was was right next to NYC, very very close to the NYCFC game, that four nil game, in terms of like just how awesome that one felt. But for this season, that will be our our game. I think that would be our biggest one of the season if if that's what ends up happening. They go there, they try to play, and we just dominate them. Yeah. Um. So I guess um, 
Yeah, I guess kind of that's all I really have to say about the Atlanta United game. Uh, do you, I guess we'll just move on to questions now, right? All right. Yep. So, yeah, um, four questions in the mailbag today. Thanks, everyone, for uh, sending in a question as usual. Um, we'll begin with a we'll begin with one from a regular contributor, Casey Jones. Uh, I was a little surprised when I saw the lineup, even more so with the results. But the more I thought about it, if you play a heavy Red Bull 2 lineup and style, you might end up with Red Bull 2 results. Hoping that sends a message to the regular <laughs> starters and can spark more intensity. And you know what? You're absolutely right. You know, I think you did yep. kind of need this injection of life into the starting lineup to kind of try and get the season back on track. I mean, simply put, look, Red Bull 2 have been probably the biggest, I think, reason why this team's been able to... to uh, kind of stand on its own two feet as much as they have over the past few years. I mean, in just two or three years, it's already generating all kinds of really valuable players. You know, I think uh, starting to look beyond just Vincent Bezicourt and Florian below, you're starting to look at Brian White as well. You know, I think um, it's not exactly a coincidence that we, that um, we can now take, I think, guys who were draft picks in the Super Draft and turn them into very valuable players at MLS level as a result of time spent in USL Ripple too. You know, I think Brian White's a pretty good case for that. Um, they're looking to make uh, Tom Barlow the next one. Um, list goes on and on, really. I think, um, as you say, I think at the top of the episode, you cannot give John Bullenick, I think, enough credit for the work that he's done with our reserve team. Because a fair bit of guys have come up through that pipeline you know, they've hit the ground running with the first team. You know, I think, uh, and that's kind of the things that we kind of needed to see to start the season. I agree. Um, you know, I think maybe you should send the entire first team down to Red Bull too, to be coached by John Bolinick for a week, trying to <laughs> re-inject the uh, EDS blueprint back into the first team lineup. So, yeah, I mean, I'm with you on that one. Um, hopefully um, the soft reboot kind of worked and we don't stray away from the path of God anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of, I, I kind of mentioned something along those lines earlier, where you know, I, I don't think it was a coincidence that that uh, Ivan and and um, and Etienne, you know, they, they spend a little bit of time um, with Rebel Two, and almost to a point of frustration. But you know, they've come back up now, and 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 they got you know they're getting some first team minutes, and they're looking good. And I don't, again, I don't think it's a coincidence that they're looking the way they are, and the team is performing the way they are coming up from from experiencing that more pure you know high press eds type of uh type of play um so clearly the solution is just rotate players down to red bull two and just bring them up and and uh kind of rinse and repeat for the whole season maybe that that's to or just just promote the entire red bull two team actually just just <laughs> get it over with um but uh seriously yeah i i, I definitely think that's um i don't think that's a coincidence i, I think it's very much part of of almost maybe what's intended, you know, kind of give them the reps, give them the minutes and, and keep them fresh and really just kind of more Etienne, I guess, and then uh, more Ivan than Etienne with really just forcing him to kind of learn more and more and more um, and kind of, and just keeping Etienne fresh and, and kind of keeping that, that hunger there. So, yeah, I, I think that's, uh, I think that's awesome seeing Rebel 2 is so crucial and it has been so crucial to this team's, um, success over the last couple of years, and, and, and it's it's not going to stop, I don't think, anytime soon. Next question coming from Demonio. Um, will Kaku make a full comeback? 
what type of performances will it take to be in good standing with the fan base, teammates, and the organization? I'm not convinced that he'll be the direct assist guy on this team, but he'll be good in transition and a playmaker outside the 18. And I think that last point I find very interesting because that was sort of like the way that Jesse Marsh was kind of using him quite a fair bit last season. You know, I think when you look at um, his skill set, he's not really this traditional, you know, I think he's not the traditional central attacking midfielder, right? Just kind of able to kind of unlock um, defenses with some, uh, just kind of walks around the pitch like Raquel May, knocks a through ball in to magically unlock the defense. I think, if anything, like he's kind of a bit more of a hybrid between it's, a central attacking midfielder who does his best work starting to transition or even in transition, as you saw, I think, a lot last year, where if he was kind of latching on, I think, I think you saw a lot of his best work last season when the team was kind of hitting on the break and he took maybe two or three touches for moving the ball on to someone else. Uh, I think we've kind of uh, lost that a little bit, I think. Because I think it's clear that Armis is using him a bit differently in his tactical setup. Or uh, Kaku kind of plays a bit more, a bit deeper, or uh, hangs out on the wing a bit more to try and send in the cross into the box. And I, I, I haven't really been the biggest fan of how Kaku's been used under Chris Armis. I won't really lie to you in that one. Because I think he really does his best work, I think, when he gets to be quick on the ball. You know, he has runners ahead of him. He takes two or three touches and then plays the through ball to some guy streaking into the channel or something. You know, that's something that I think will be key in getting us back on track this season is recapturing a bit more of that. Like, you really need to start sending, I think, runners in front of Kaku once again to really get the best out of his abilities because he's shown that he still has that capabilities. Again, I think against SKC was one. And... uh yeah, I mean, I think that's really, really good. But I think in regards to uh, dealing with the fan base at this point, yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of warranted that he does kind of have this pretty big target on his back, I think, especially after the way that he acted in the offseason that we kind of already know about. What it's going to take for him to kind of get back in the hearts of the fan base, I mean, I'm not really going to hold out for anything. I don't think... Uh, I'm I, I'm going to be kind of real. I I don't know if there's anything that he can really do to win back the hearts of some of the fans. You know, I think there's still definitely a quite a fair bit of the fan base that still kind of believes in him and wants him to do well for obvious reasons. But you also can't deny that there's also a fair bit of the fan base that's kind of ready to move on from him. And uh, the incident against SKC, I think as overblown as it was, really doesn't really help is standing much in the eyes of some people. So what's it really going to take for him to get back in the good graces of people? I mean, simple little thing at the end of the day is that results kind of forgive everything, don't they? Fire off a whole bunch of wins, start racking up a bunch of assists and goals, start playing a pretty big, start playing a bigger role in uh, this team's, uh, in good performances this team has going forward. I think that's all he can really do at this point. And sooner or later, that'll kind of pay off into that big money move that he kind of wants. I think, um, if I'm being honest, I think, we do kind of have to start looking at potentially uh, replacing our big money playmaker again this off season, because uh, I don't think we've seen the end of Kaku Watch just yet. So yeah, that's all I kind of really got. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan at all of, of how he's being used, but I think that's kind of just a byproduct of the overall tactical setup that I think Chris is trying to do. Um, not necessarily, uh, you know, hey, we're going to change you. I want you to do this just because I want you to do this. It's more, this is how I want the team to play. These are the tactical instructions. So, okay, so now I need you to do this. I need you to do that. Um, I definitely agree. What, what, what made Gaku so, so lethal was um, he really wasn't the one kind of, spark in that transition he was kind of like that first uh that first link in transition kind of that first option after transition kind of kicked off and he's at his best like you said when 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 it's he collects the ball they're in transition he likes playing fast and i don't think it's a coincidence that every time he's looked the best, it's in these games where teams are playing and we're looking a little bit more like us, and you know we're playing faster, we're we're transitioning quicker. It's when that's 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 how he that's his that's his best. Those are his best moments. That's those are the kind of games he likes, and he's he said it himself. So when when the team is just playing slower for whatever reason, whether it's tactical instructions or you know it's just how the game is being because the opponent is kind of just making the game that way. He's just not the kind of guy to to kind of just sit around and and like you said, just you know dribble the ball a little bit and you know just make a little you know lob a little pass and and yay, it, that's not him. He's he thrives on on those quick transitions. He, he thrives in those 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 quick breaks. Um, but he's also thrived at least when when Jesse was here, he really thrived at being that final. Being that that not only that first option in transition after it started, but really ultimately being that final guy in uh, uh, that that making that final pass. But I mean, that we also know at this point that's kind of the heart and soul of of, of really uh, uh, true EDS is is the moment transition starts, five to seven seconds you need to, you need to be at, on goal, and that's that's where he thrives. And I think evidence of that is if you look at at his assists. So of his 14 assists last year, 11 were direct assists. So he was directly involved in that final pass versus, let's say, Sasha Kleshin, where most of his assists were really second assists. So he was, you know, he was important, obviously, but he was kind of sparking that, 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 uh, those final sets of passes and plays rather than being that final direct link, making just that perfect pass. And when the team is playing really quick, when the team is transitioning and, and going for that really, really, really quick transition to goal, Gaku is the guy you want there because he's just so good in his movement. He thinks so well. He he reads the game so well. He understands the movements of, of the attackers. He's able to kind of, yeah, just make that one or two quick uh, – uh, uh, you know, moves and, and just that one quick pass to kind of link up to goal. When he's asked to play a little deeper for whatever reason, you're taking his best assets out. And when you're putting all these guys in front of him, yeah, it gives him options. But if it's not, if it's not in in a quick transition, it's kind of just a slow buildup. You're you're forcing him, you're forcing him out of making those final, those smart final decisions and smart final passes because again, he's so far back. He's got all those guys ahead of him. Whatever whoever he ends up passing it to, there's going to be a couple of passes that need to happen before he even gets a goal. So I don't know. I I don't think, unfortunately, I don't see us ever going back to just that frantic EDS that we saw under Jesse in the first half of last year. 
which means I just don't think we're going to see that that high assist rate um, that we saw when he first got here, which unfortunately might end up uh, costing him in, in, in terms of the fans because it set the expectations so high that unfortunately a lot of fans don't care or don't see or don't even want to know the context around why his quote-unquote form is dropping where it's not really him directly. It's not him just not being good enough. He's just not being put in the best position to succeed. Yeah, I mean, and ultimately that's on. Yeah, I mean, he's not really like in. He's not really this attacking third possession oriented playmaker in the slightest. You know, he's not Kevin De Bruyne. He's not a. You know, he's not a. He's. I. I, I he's not. He's not that kind of player. Basically, is all I'm trying to say. He's not going to be able to yeah. string together a whole bunch of accurate passes to pull apart defenders and then play a killer through ball. No, I think, as we mentioned, he takes two or three touches in transition. Slides it into someone running ahead of him. And that's kind of like the, that's kind of the best um, thing is that he's all about quick passing and moving in transition. And I think like the most disappointing thing is that he doesn't nutmeg people anymore. Like I don't remember the yeah. last time. I don't remember the last time that he's pulled a meg. It's been so sad. Like I think that's probably been the most disappointing thing. I mean, like it's not really the guy's fault. I think again, it's how he's been deployed in this team. And uh, the ha- I guess the source of a happy playmaker is is a player who nutmegs people like it's f- like it's fun. So I mean, I don't know. I hope he rediscovers a bit of that at least. Well, <laughs> well, fun. I think is it's. I think well, you you mentioned fun. I think that's a big piece. I don't think he's been having fun this year. And and when you're kind of just going through the motions, you're 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 not, you know, you're not you're not as likely to uh, open the sauce the way he was last year. So you know that that's why I mentioned I, I feel. Confident, I feel good that I, I that in the last couple of games since he's returned, he I, he has that look that 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 vibe on him that he's he's having a good time again. And if 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 that that I think is important because if he starts having fun again, you're gonna start seeing those megs. You're gonna start seeing him seeing that that vision again and 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 all that stuff. He may not still be in the best position to succeed, but Gaku having fun in MLS is is a beautiful thing and it's it's only going to you know pay positive uh bring positive results. Yeah, we got to bring back Algo Lindo ladies and gentlemen. He needs our help, I think. <laughs> we got to yes. get behind him. Um this one coming from Patrick Dawan. So thanks again for the question. Uh what does an ideal 11 look like based on merit and or form? So I think I'm going to give the quick uh, lowdown. I think at goalkeeper you, you you could probably make a bit of a case that he's his decline's been a bit understated this season because we've been focused so much on Bradley Wright Phillips, but I think you can't deny that Robles is kind of looking, starting to look a bit more like a 35-year-old goalkeeper because of some of the uh, mistakes that he's been making, which have been kind of... Unca- 35-year-old goalkeeper with a, with a bad yeah. name at that. I mean, it's, I mean, there's been a number of uncharacteristic errors uh, to start the season, which maybe implies to me that he doesn't quite have the athleticism that he used to have that's been kind of covering up a lot of the gaps in his game for the past few years. And I think really if you look at like how other short goalkeepers have kind of progressed throughout their careers, it's kind of a mini miracle in itself that um, he's still capable of playing at a re- reasonably high level. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess you kind of do have to go for him with this the incumbent for now. And if uh, his performances don't pick up, you definitely have to start thinking about maybe giving Ryan Mira more reps. But yeah, the ideal back four definitely, as of now, Lawrence, Long, Parker, and Murillo. 
I mean, I think um, some of the uh, depth options at center back is starting to make a lot of noise. Going to start ratcheting up the pressure in Long and Parker. Parker in, ge- in general hasn't been great to start the season, I don't think. So maybe at one point you do see Long and maybe Amro, which would be kind of good because you have two pretty decent ball-playing center backs. You can play good recovery defense in there. Um, the midfield for me... Based on merit, I think it has to be Christian Casares is the only one I think that I'd really say is inked in. Um, the rest, Sean Davis, I guess, next to him. Kaku definitely starts at the 10 if you're playing 4 2 3 1. Or, I mean, or even in a two strike formation, Kaku finds himself in the field. The wingers is where it gets a bit dicey for me because I think Royer's been the best um, attacker so far this season, but. Generally doesn't really produce much, I think, if he's not putting the ball in the back of the net. And again, this is why it's so like hard, I think, to really be too hard on Danny Royer, because you know that you know what he brings. But the thing is that like for all the goals and stuff that he puts in the back of the net, like he's still at the end of the day, we kinda know what his limitations are. So I kinda wanna know if we do better if you have more on ball creators like Andreas Ivan. Derek Etienne or Omir Fernandez in the lineup. And that kind of applies to Alex Meal as well, I guess, in a way. I think um, I've always kind of liked Meal. I, I, I will ride this horse until I die. He is our Park G's song, and he does his best work in scrappy <laughs> games or games where you have to ratchet up defensive pressure or in games where you can come off the bench and just run, run, run a muck against tiring legs. You know, he's a very useful player in that regard. But when you see how much Omir is capable of producing off the ball, capable of producing in terms of the offense, I mean, like, you have to wonder, like, hey, maybe it's time to start playing Omir instead of one of those two, trying to see what we can go of it. So, I mean, I guess the wingers for me, I guess Royer and Omir, but Royer is a kind of a 50-50. Maybe I want to see more Ivan or Etienne there. Instead, who really knows? I think... Striker, I mean, if you're going for one striker or two striker, I mean, I think Brian White is the only other guy who I'd say is inked in for me. So Brian White steps out top as striker. Uh, if you go two strikers, it's either White or Jorgensen or White and, uh, you know, maybe even Barlow. I don't know about Brad, to be honest. I think Brad might honestly be suited as being the super sub at this point to kind of throw on when the game's kind of... Uh, kind of opened up a bit more in the second half and their tiring legs, which means that he has more, you know, space to work against and comparatively fresh. So I think you might see Rad transition to a super sub role this year. I hope that's the case because I think there are other guys who could kind of open up a lot more, I think, to start the game. Yeah, I think uh, for me, I, I've penciled in White. I've convinced myself by the end of this episode that White is our new uh, starting striker <laughs> going forward. Um, and until otherwise, uh, you know, him losing it or, or, or Barlow just kind of forcing himself back on or, or Brad, who knows. But for now, I think White's earned earned that spot. Um, I got to put Royer there. He, he's he's weirdly our difference maker. The, just the fact that that his for me, his presence is essentially you do nothing except for when you score a goal, which sounds stupid. But because I mean, that's what you want from from, from your player. But he, there's such a hole in on that side of the field and such a hole in that attack when he's not and just when he just doesn't get that random goal 
you know, what he seems to consistently do. So, you know, he's a guy that I get it. He, he's, he's, I, I, he's our best scorer on the team right now. And, and in a, in a team that's, that's struggling a little bit to score. Um, I guess I'm kind of inclined to say, start him. Um, otherwise I'm with you. It's, it's, I guess it's tough. It's, it's going to be, um, it's either him or Ivan, I guess it's a 50, 50 kind of thing. Um, and on the right side, it's, I want, I want Omir Fernandez starting going forward to me. I, I, he has to, that I feel like he gives you enough of, of the dirty work and, and, and kind of that, that, um, uh, that press that, that, that wheel brings. Um, I, I feel like I'm saying I'm, I'm almost describing of low where, you know, he brings very similar pressing abilities, but he's simply just better in a ball, better in transition. He's, he's more of an actual threat. His movement is better. Um, I think he just adds enough of the attacking abilities um, to kind of, but still enough of the defensive abilities where, you know, he, he kind of just has to be there. Um, Gaku, I mean, that's, that's if he's healthy and not, not, you know, hitting balls to players head uh, to fans heads, he's, he's starting. Um, and it's got to be Caceres and, and, and Davis. Um, I feel bad for, for Davis and Rizzi because I feel like neither one of them have, I feel like both of them have, haven't been put in their best positions to succeed more often than not this year. So I don't want to be too harsh on them. If they are put in a position to succeed, I'd rather see Davis. Um, but Castros has to be there. And then, yeah, the whole back four are usual. I will say this, though. I've been I've been a little skeptical of Parker since last year. And I'm, I'm even more skeptical this year. I, I, I don't want – I'm not going to say he's overrated, but I guess he kind of is. I just I I don't I guess I expect more from 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 Parker. I feel like maybe more often than not last year he kind of rode uh, a bit on 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 long um, in some ways. I I wouldn't be surprised, and I, it would never happen. But I wouldn't be surprised if if Amro found a way to kind of force himself um, uh, into the starting eleven by by the end of the season. Um, if Parker kind of keeps having some of these weird howlers that he's had this year. Um, but yeah, that that's kind of it for uh, me. All right. So last question of the week coming from the energy drink soccer show. And this is going to be a plug ladies and gentlemen. So I hope you're ready. Is lens ready for his EDSS appearance next week? And I'm going to let you in on a little secret here, folks. I do zero preparation for this podcast. <laughs> So am I. So, so am I ever really prepared? I don't know, man. Like, um, I don't even really know like what to expect. Like, I haven't really. Um, I, I, I've definitely think it's very um, listenable, but I don't know uh, what my niche is exactly gonna bring to this show. I mean, I hope you guys fucking like anime. I guess I don't know. I mean, I have a lot of opinions on that because. <laughs> I've I found I found um what is it? I found I found um watching this volleyball anime a lot more interesting than watching this team so far this season sometimes if I'm being completely <laughs> honest with you. Um if Haikyuu is available on Netflix in your region, I definitely suggest um watching watching it whenever you need to go beyond your limits so you need motivation. Because like honestly, I think it you, 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 you never if you think you kind of understand what volleyball is all about yeah i don't think you 
I, I don't think you've really seen Haikyuu. Like, oh my goodness. Like, you watch two episodes of that shit and you feel like you can run through walls. Well, that's great. <laughs> I don't know. Have you, have, you, have you been listening to, to their show much? I think, like, I always see that the episodes are up, but I always, I always kind of forget to listen to them, so I'm sorry about that. <laughs> the the someone asked me the other day what's the best way to describe it because they haven't listened to it like oh you know it's another another Red Bull another RBNY podcast like should I really listen to it describe it the best way to describe it is if like you take that first half of last year how the team played just that that frantic just crazy especially that Tijuana game that team dig punch game away in Mexico. You take that and you take all the best RBNY Twitter shit posting. I mean, the fucking cream of the crop, the best shit that we put out last year and do like 90 lines of fucking Coke. And that's basically the podcast. I don't know any other way to explain Jesus, that. man. <laughs> It's it's a fucking it's a fucking trip, man. Like when it's an experience. Is it like a watch? Is it like the podcast version of like the visuals of Into the Void of Gaspar Noé? Like, because <laughs> that's what it kind of sounds like to me, man. Like talking about like how you kind of need to be on some kind of stimulant, fucking go ham. I mean, man, I don't even know at this point, B. Like. <laughs> I don't yeah. even know what I my mean, episode's going to be all yeah. about. Like, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm just going to go in the same way that I go in with this podcast. And that's zero preparation and me talking just, off the top of my head. So, yeah. Just just listen to the first five minutes of every single – the first three minutes of every of every single episode. That's all you need to do. And that will give you everything you need to know about what I mean, to expect. I'm, I mean, I'm going to be it's, honest with you. I think that if there's one thing in the RBNY podcast world that definitely needed a bit of a niche is – the RBNY Twitter shit posting podcast. So if this is what it's all about, then you know, like that. Let's roll. Yeah. Let's roll, baby. <laughs> yeah. It's shit posting is an understatement. That's that's almost underselling it. It's borderline disrespectful to only call it shit posting. It's it's so ridiculous. it's art. <laughs> but it's it's so good. It's art. Yes, it is art. It is it is definitely art. It really is. That that is the future of of podcasting. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I mean, I, I I hope you enjoyed this plug. I mean, I hope I didn't really backhand the podcast too much. I mean, I don't want to shit talk the platform or anything. I've just been kind of preoccupied with some other stuff. So I apologize in advance. Maybe once I start work in a couple of weeks, I'll definitely have more time to kind of listen to podcasts like you all, like you all do. So yeah, I mean, that's kind of what it's all about. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess that kind of concludes it. Um, I think I'm recording my yep. episode of the EDSS, I think, next Monday. So that's going to be fun for all of you, hopefully. I don't even know what I'm going to be talking about just yet, but um, they usually decide it, like, I think, on the I, day itself no anyway. Off of recommendations on Twitter. No, it, it's, it's decided, it's decided, like, on the fly in real time. <laughs> How's that any different from our podcast, though? I mean, like, we basically wing every single episode. Anyway. You'll understand. Okay. You'll understand. All right. Is it like a... I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm running out of uh, questions. I feel like it's going to be like a Nardwar interview if anyone's into that kind of thing. 
So yeah, um, hope to see you all there. Um, if you're kind of upset about a revelation that we basically wing every single one of our episodes, you can tweet 69 to me, and I don't give a shit. <laughs> um, don't tweet 69 to Fernando, though. He does, he does a lot of really hard work. In fact, I think he's more, he's more Metro Fan TV than I am. Like, that's, that's true anchor shit right there, basically. <laughs> no, see, but see, the thing is, because I have the memory of a guppy, I forget everything up until the moment of so <laughs> whoa wow it's a symbiotic relationship okay. a functioning <laughs> ecosystem in this day and age what a world we live in goodness um yeah i mean uh, this has been a very prolonged outro and i'm gonna cut it off right now so on behalf of me and fernando thank you so much for listening we'll see you sunday at ripple arena hopefully get more post-game vids out soon and peace good night god bless and always stay stay chill but not too chill Metro Fan TV, signing out. Later.